Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Well, hey there, it's Zach, all the way from Chesapeake, Virginia. Creative Control happens to be my favorite podcast. I value Visha's insight and his ability to balance humor with in-depth conversation while occasionally dipping into serious topics. Regardless of whether I've heard of the guest or not, or however long Visha's known them, you really do get the feeling that the two of them have known each other for a long time, and I walk away from every episode feeling like I gained something. I think that's testament to how good of a journalist and conversationalist Visha is. He has a real skill of opening people up. I also enjoy the spicy and lighthearted ribbing Vish does with his guests from time to time. Oh, and while I have you, did you know that for just $6, you can subscribe to the Creative Control Patreon and get access to all kinds of bonus content? And for $10, Vish will mail you one of his t-shirts. And hey, that peachy shirt is pretty cool. Anyway, enjoy the episode and do doodle do Oh, wait. Aaron Goldstein is a talented pedal steel player and electric guitarist, songwriter, singer, and producer who resides in Toronto, Ontario. Known for his work in the band Huron and frequent collaborations with Ian Blurton, Goldstein's pedal steel work is sought after, and he's done session work or else been a touring member with the likes of Kathleen Edwards, City in Color, Daniel Romano, Cowboy Junkies, The Sadies, Tara Lightfoot, and Richard Laviolette among many others. For his own songwriting pursuits in recent years, Goldstein started working as Espinola, whose second star-studded and spirited album, Espinola Again, was released on October 6, 2023, via Sonic Onion Records. Just ahead of that, Aaron and I reconvened for a good talk in which he recounted the recent tour he did opening up for Willie Nelson while in Kathleen Edwards' band, how he got into playing music, but specifically the pedal steel, the history of Espinola, the admittedly blurry line between producing songs and helping someone write them, lyrical themes of displacement on Espinola again, making southern rock when you live in southern Ontario, making more Espinola music, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners just like you who follow and subscribe, to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control. Hey, not for nothing, I've uh, increased the perks at the $10 a month level. That's $10 American, I should say. So uh, if you've ever wanted to donate uh, and support my show and my work, now's the time to do it. Again, head over to patreon.com slash creative control and if you can afford to do so, Please support this show today. Thank you so much. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. All wonderful independent businesses. 
This is episode 823 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Aaron Goldstein from Espanola with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Yeah, the coast is clear on Hey, Aaron, how's it going? Fine, thanks, Vish. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to see you again. It's been a long time. Yes, and likewise. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, um, I was trying to remember when I last saw you. You know, we tend to run into each other, I guess, at the odd festival or whatever, but it's been a yeah. while. It's been yeah. a long time. I don't go to yeah. as many as I used to. You still going to lots of things? Yeah, I mean, when I can. Uh, I mean, mostly it's when I'm playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, every summer tends to be, you know, depending on who's calling, I'll, I'll end up all over the place. Yeah, that's true. You're still kind of a hired gun in, in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Doing a little less of that. I mean, uh, it's really more production these days. And so uh, yeah, it's sort of like uh, I'll take the right road stuff that makes sense. Still still working with Kathleen Edwards. Uh, that's sort of like the main road job right now. And, oh, yeah. Um, I got to ask you some questions about that. Because there's for some sure, Willie, yeah. Willie, Willie, Willie Nelson stuff I want to ask you about because I saw, oh my all goodness. Your, saw all your posts. That seemed <laughs> magical. Uh, before yeah. I get get much further, I have uh, some uh, business I like to uh, uh, deal with at the beginning of every episode. Uh, oh, for, name, for sure. Na- We're going to na- discuss name, granddads? Namely, where? No. <laughs> no, not, no, that's already been taken care of. Uh, okay. where, where in the world are you today, Aaron, is what I usually ask people. Uh, today I'm I'm in Toronto uh, at my headquarters, uh, which uh, which I fondly refer to as Gold Standard Recorders. Uh, this is my, my studio where I do all my work. Now, are you in your studio as, as we're speaking? I'm in the um, the sort of lounge area, you might say. Um, it's a uh, it's another unit that is uh, upstairs from the studio uh, that I have as like yeah, lounge, uh, the kitchen and bathroom. I got an office up here and. Uh, just sort of extra space. The studio itself is an amazing space, but it didn't really have anywhere to hang out, you know? I see. So I so I acquired this space as well, and um, it's been great. Sorry, is this on your uh, the property of your home? Uh, no, this is um, this is out in the East uh, East York. Oh, okay. And uh, the building itself is a former theater. It was the Donlands Theater. Oh. And um, famously, John Candy lived across the road as a child and would walk over here to see films. Oh my gosh! Um, wow, yeah. that's amazing. So, I I love John Candy. I love SCTV. I love all his films. Basically, I uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. So that's nice to yeah, hear. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's sort of the claim to fame of this building is that is that he you know uh, his ghost walks the halls. You know, any kind of marker uh, signifying that his house is across the street? Some sort of plaque? No, no, I'm not sure. I uh, you know to be honest, I don't know which house it is. But uh, uh, in the front lobby, there's sort of a like a history of the building. And that's one of the things that it mentions. I see. All right. Well, it's, mm. that's lovely. And the place looks nice. Mm. Congratulations. That's yeah, great. Thanks. And you're keeping busy as a producer, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I've been lucky. I, I mean, um, you know, it's work that I've done for a long time, but it was always in between tours. And uh, I really love the work. I believe a lot in the role. And often, you know, if people are coming in and they're sort of taking my temperature and they're trying to decide whether I'm the right person i often tell them you know even if i'm not the right person it's an important role it's a you know a good a good idea to have somebody uh who has a different perspective on the material than you do yeah Uh, so if you don't hire me you should probably hire somebody yeah yeah of course that's not you know there's plenty of bands that make their own records and they turn out great it's really a project by project thing sometimes it's just a crude experience right a a musician becomes Mm -hmm. a producer after working uh, themselves after working with producers over the course of their working life right Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, to be honest, um, the fact that I play a sort of a more rare instrument, you know, pedal steel has been my thing for a long time. And since I was younger, I, I probably ended up on more, se- like I, I ended up playing more sessions than most guitar players, for example, just because there's fewer of us. Yes. And so I got the opportunity to watch a lot of different producers work. And I really, um, I really liked the idea of the job. Yeah. And I uh, just sort of dove into it. Sorry to interrupt you there. How did you That's get good. into uh, pedal steel in particular? Was it because you noticed there was a, a scarcity of such players and maybe you could, you know, you know some musicians 
find out that as they enter a community, wow, no one plays bass in this town. No one, right, no right. one plays drums. I better, maybe I should pick that up instead of being an, yet another lead guitarist. Was any of that entering yeah. your mind as you picked up the pedal steel? I'll tell you, that's how I sold it to my dad for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm an obsessive by nature, uh, you know, a record obsessive as I know you probably are. And a lot of people that we fraternize with and, uh, I got really into, like when I first got to university uh, at McMaster, I got really into the early Neil Young records. And of course, Ben Keith is the steel player on those records. And um, yeah, I I became sort of obsessed with the sound and realized I didn't know anybody who played it. I had never even seen one in person and wasn't sure how to really even play it. This is about 2004 or five, And so, you know, I had the internet, but the internet was still maybe in its infancy, you might say. And certainly, you know, the information about steel guitar was was scarce because, you know, the masters of the instrument tend to be older people. And so in 2005, how many, you know, older people were there uh, on the internet talking about steel guitar? It was a very sort of, information was scarce, let's put it that way. There happened to have been a forum, and the forum still exists, the Steel Guitar Forum. It was a very old school you know, internet message board where the rule was you must use your real first and last name. And I had to send five US dollars in an envelope to the moderator for the server fees in order to join. And uh, I got on the forum and asked some questions. And um, I eventually, funny enough, Long and McQuaid carried like a a student model. And uh, I was able to acquire one. And um, Yeah, in the early days, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I played a little bit of open tuning on guitar and a little bit of sort of slide guitar and stuff, and I just kind of assumed that I'd be able to sit down at it and make my way on it. And when I first put the first one together, I was completely lost, and I didn't know what to do. I almost took it back. But I was in a band with some friends from McMaster, and they really encouraged me to bring the steel to, to our shows. And to, you know, just play it no matter what. And it is the kind of instrument where if you if you learn a couple tricks, you can make very pleasing music on it quickly, but then it's a total lifetime to master. So I I was able to sort of, you know, make some interesting music on it and probably stunk it up a bit in these shows. But uh, my friends were very encouraging and I, I just kept bringing it out and kept playing. I remember I had a gig with the, this country rock band that I was in in McMaster. It was called the Surly Young Bucks. And I had a... Had a, had a radio interview with Lou Molinero before one of our gigs. And he said, well, you, you know, you're playing the pedal steel and you're playing country rock. You must be a big fan of the Flying Burrito Brothers. And I said, the what? <laughs> like I, I, I had just never, I'd never heard. So I, so I immediately dove into that, uh, like into their catalog. And it was from there that I got into the old country stuff. Like I would have heard all those Merle Haggard songs that they cover. I heard them first. And then I heard Merle later. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So yeah, pretty much Neil Young and, and Ben Keith. And then the Breeder Brothers and Sneaky Pete. The, that, that was my entry into it. I see. Yeah. Well, no, that's, mm. that's amazing. That's a fascinating yeah. uh, uh, entry point into a pretty uh, idiosyncratic instrument among the most. Uh, we, mm-hmm. were, we were referencing uh, John Candy earlier. You were talking mm-hmm. about Merle Haggard and country music. So... I want to get to some planes, trains, and automobiles in the fact that uh, you recently did a, a tour with Kathleen Edwards and uh, and with Willie Nelson. Is that right? That is correct. We uh, we were out for three weeks opening for Willie Nelson on the uh, on the Outlaw tour, they call it. My goodness. I, I saw the clips. You got to... You know what? You tell the story because I, I picked sure. up pieces of information from some of the uh, magical photos and clips you posted uh, tell the folks uh, listening, what was it like touring with uh, Willie Nelson and his band? Okay, so, you know, Kathleen was added to this uh, to this tour. They call it the Outlaw Music Tour. So Outlaw, I guess, is this brand that uh, they have a serious channel and um, they have a cruise. And so we had played on the cruise, uh, I guess it was earlier this year or maybe last year. And, I mean, Willie was not on the cruise, but it was, you know, like Lucinda Williams was on it, Steve Earle, like... A great lineup of that kind of music. I mean, like Outlaw Country, in essence, is really, you know, you think of Waylon Jennings and like Willie and those guys, but they've sort of expanded the brand to be like other alt country and Americana type artists. Um, So I think that was sort of what what brought Kathleen to their attention. 
was that we were on this cruise and they were able to see, you know, who, whomever they is, whoever books these things. And uh, they saw the band. And it's been a pretty steady band for a couple of years now. And it's uh, I think we play really well together. And I have been a fan of hers since before I even played professionally. And so I, it really is exciting for me to to continue to, to play those songs with her. But so we were added to this tour. And um, it's like a touring uh, amphitheater situation where, you know, the, the show starts at 5 o'clock or something. And Willie plays at 9 every night. He plays for 60 exact minutes. He has the same voice like he's and he's totally with it and of course we all had these dreams of like wow we're gonna sit down with willie we're gonna we're gonna have a have a tete-a-tete with willie um that wasn't really (laughs) that wasn't really the case and i i should have probably predicted it you know uh he turned 90 this year he had this this massive birthday party two-day birthday party in la you know he's elderly and they and they were very covid conscious which of course makes sense it was you know the rule was uh anytime willie's on the grounds everybody had to mask up yeah. and we were allowed to watch his show from side stage but again masked and um you know he essentially lives on his bus they pull up the bus to the stairs next to the stage about 10 minutes before his show they get him up there he walks out on his own but he sits now mm-hmm. and um his son micah was on the tour as well, playing in his band and also opening every day, uh, playing a Particle Kid set. Uh, you know, Particle yep. Kid is, is, yep. is Micah's uh, thing. And um, I got to know Micah a little bit. I really, I really enjoyed hanging out with him. Um, and uh, he's a very affable and easygoing guy for someone who is, you know, the son of an extremely famous person uh, and who's probably had a lot of interesting experiences. It only occurred to me towards the end of the tour to ask Micah, I was like, wait a minute, you must have known Waylon. Like, when you were a kid, he was like, yeah, you know, the highwaymen. Yes, of course. Uh, you know, they toured all over the place, but there was a tour in Australia where everybody brought their families. Oh. And uh, Micah, you know, as far as Micah was concerned, he was basically like, Waylon was like my dad's smelly, weird, older friend who <laughs> who I didn't really like. Uh, and there was there was one, one incident where he, they had taken them to a playground and Micah had gotten sort of caught in the monkey bars. Oh, no. And nobody, nobody saw except for Waylon. And Waylon came over to try and help him out of the monkey bars. And Micah was like, don't touch me. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. He didn't, he didn't want anything to do with him because he just, I mean, you know, what was Waylon Jennings' disposition in 1986 or 87? He was, you know, he may have been smelly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe so. And Micah also plays uh, in Promise of the Real with Neil Young. That's right. So quite That's an right. interesting uh, pedigree there. Wow. Yeah, of course. I'll tell you, uh, Government Mule was on several of the dates, and when I was younger, I was a huge fan of that band. Yeah. I, mean, I, I you know, still am, for sure. But, uh, you know, there's like a, a band that at this point has been around 25 years, and they, they totally carry the Southern Rock Torch. And, you know, Warren Haynes, definitely a guitar hero of mine, and I uh, was able to sort of meet him and chat with him. Lovely guy, very humble, and they just killed every night. Nice. Uh, John Fogarty was on several of the dates, and that was incredible oh wow i think he's about the same age as my dad he's about 77 yeah and he's just got he's got all the energy yeah because he he only recently reacquired his catalog yes you know he was uh, he was in the situation where he didn't i think he could have legally played his own songs but he wasn't going to be paid for them so he was he had he had severed himself from his from his catalog of massive hits and now he's out there playing every one of them like he does 75 minutes and it's just hits and it was really exciting. Uh, he has two of his sons in his band also. And one of them looks like John Fogarty from the Woodstock movie. Oh, wow. Like the same haircut and everything. And he's <laughs> the, the bowl cut. Player. He's got the bowl cut. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, was, it was just a lovely tour. I mean, um, a friend of mine, Micah Halsher, who's on my record actually, plays with Margot Price. And Margot's done tons of these Willie dates. And Micah was like, man... It's going to be so relaxed. You're going to hang out and catering all day. Oh, nice. You're going to play your you're going to play your 45 minutes or your 60 minutes, and uh, they're going to take care of you. And that's exactly what happened. It was just very easy going. Oh, and then to say nothing of like getting to hear Willie for 60 minutes every night. Yeah, and just like a really like yeah, there's tons of hits in the set list, but tons of like deep stuff too, deep deep cuts and like interesting other things that he was playing. It's really. Uh, I think there's really few people living who are in that sort of rarefied air of being such an absolute legend. Like the guy was was writing songs when Hank Williams was alive. Oh yeah, like, no, that's a I've, long time ago. <laughs> I love Willie Nelson so much, and I've seen him a mm-hmm. couple of times now. And uh, you know, 
albums like Phases and Stages just still haunt yeah. me. You know, I just I, I think he's he's the he's the best. Now, did you end up? I know you had to be side stage and masked uh, uh, during mm. his sets, but did you not end up on stage at one point with I him? Did. <laughs> I did. So at the end of his set every night, um, it was sort of floated around backstage. Somebody mentioned if you're side stage when Willie's playing you're welcome to come out and sing the, on- or uh, not the encore, but the last song. Oh, wow. It's going to, yeah, it's going to be, um, I saw the light and then they go into, uh, uh, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. Oh, nice. And <laughs> so, yeah, I happened to one of the shows. Uh, my son was with me. My son is, uh, his name is Eli. He's going to be eight shortly. Hmm. And, um, he was able to make it down to the Pittsburgh show. Um, he just, Stuck his thumb out and made it. It's <laughs> <made his way laughs> a and, uh, rite, we of pa- rite of passage for every eight-year-old to hitchhike down to Pittsburgh from Southern Ontario yeah. on their own. Yeah, 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 yeah. To see his dad. Yeah. So, okay. So interestingly, um, and understandably, they were trying to limit guests backstage. The same, same COVID protocol thing. It totally made sense. And I had a little bit of static, sort of getting him backstage. Uh, you know, him and his mom. And it ended up okay, but I was sort of worried that someone was going to spot us and say, hey, those people aren't supposed to be back here. Right. And we're side stage. And this is, you know, I've maybe the sixth or seventh night that I've seen Willie. And uh, Willie's wife watches the show every night from side stage and uh, with with her daughter-in-law, Micah's wife. Yeah. And they roll out a little road case for her to sit on and a smaller one to put her feet on. And I did, the truth is I didn't really meet her during the, these, uh, this tour, but I, I could see her every night. She turned around and looked at us and I was like, oh no, we're like, we're done. She sees that there's extra people here and, and she's going to ask us to leave. Instead, she came over to Eli and said, can he see okay? And I said, oh yeah, I, I think he's okay. She says, come here, dear. And brought him over to the road case and sat him on the road oh. case so that, so he had a great vantage point for the show. Oh, lovely. And then. At the end of the show, you know, a couple of the roadies bring out extra mics so that everybody can crowd around them. So I just said, all right, let's go. And I grabbed him by the hand and I pulled him out there. Wow. And uh, yeah, we did. I saw the light. He was excited. I mean, he knows Willie. He actually, he goes to sleep every night to a a, a curated Willie playlist, a, a, a Willie bedtime playlist. Oh, nice. I, I picked, I picked sort of the most relaxed Willie numbers that I could. Uh, and that's been, that's been for years. And so he's, he's aware of Willie Nelson, which is why I really wanted him to see the show. He doesn't really know I saw the light, but that's fine. I think he was just in awe of being on the stage and seeing all the people and everything like that. It was a particularly busy show. Yeah, it was, it was great. It's a, it's that is a total phenomenal. Ex- yeah. It's a, I think that'll stay with you forever. That's mm-hmm. amazing. So, Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. You, you, you know, music's awesome this way. It connects you with <laughs> your heroes and it sounds like uh, that's the case. Well, Absolutely. uh, let's, let's get into you and your work, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of this band that I must confess I wasn't super familiar with. Uh, yeah, Aaron, okay. you and I go way back to, uh, times when you were in a band called Huron. That's right. Um, and, uh, yeah, what did I do? I interviewed you guys, I think, probably, and put on shows, and yeah. so I was a big, big fan of you guys, and that, and uh, it was nice to to, to befriend all of you. Espinola, uh, I'm a little less familiar with. Tell us about That's this okay. band. Where did this Where did this project come from? The truth is, it, it, it's a name I've been using since the Huron days. It was like if I ever had a something that I wrote that didn't quite fit with Huron, I just sort of kept it in the Espinola catalog or whatever. I attempted to make an EP years ago, uh, like around the Huron days. And I issued like a couple sort of CD singles or whatever. It wasn't really anything to write home about. Uh, cause I, I didn't have a lot of time. I mean, as Huron was ending, I got a big road job with City in Color. And so I left for two or three years and it just, it just fizzled. Um, but I always sort of had the name and I had a catalog of songs. And then, you know, since, uh, since 2010 or so, I've, I've been very busy on the road. Even though that's also the first year I produced a record, it's just, you know, the road has been my, my living essentially. Yeah. So anytime I tried to dive into this project and like do anything with it, it was sort of like a tour would come up and just, you know, mm-hmm. the things get complicated. It's interesting because like I've spent so much time traveling with other people, playing on other people's records. I'm very grateful to be able to do that kind of work. And um, I've never had to deal with putting something together myself. I, I a little bit took for granted, I think, that 
somebody pays for my flights. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I send an invoice and I get paid and like, it's a very, uh, you know, we all know it's a, it can be a fickle and difficult business. And so this is the first time where I've really like taken the reins and put a band together and it's not accurate. You know, when I put out the first Espinola record, I had, a, I had a bunch of different bands. There's been a different band virtually for every tour that I've done. But so, yeah, the first record came out in 2019 and I had made it over the course of like five years previous and really the impetus to finally finish it and put it out and put it out in a hurry was uh, I was playing with Future Now, which I still do with uh, Ian Blurton's band, and we were going on a tour and Ian had uh, our, must have been our first record, the first Future Now record uh, was finished and he wanted to go across the country and he floated the idea, well, why don't you play an Espanola set and we'll back you for that. And so I decided, well, this record that is very near complete should just come out so that I can take it across the country. So that's what I did. And uh, then this second record, the one that's coming out now, was, you know, comparatively written in a much shorter time and recorded in a very short time, uh, which I was very happy about. Uh, it was a different process. And I, I really like I loved it. Um, I gave the reins to another producer entirely, John and Yellow. And I decided from the outset, I have to behave the way I would want my best client to behave like, you know, in the studio, I have to let John make the calls. Um, and I have to just go with it. I have to release, you know, whatever nonsense I have that, that, you know, whatever things I'm clinging to, I just got to let it go and, and just let it happen. And I'm so happy. I'm so proud of the record. And I think like it just went just as well as it could have. I I really have John to thank, to be honest. He, he's so great. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought we worked really well. He was in Toronto working on the last winter sleep record, or maybe now it's two records ago. Mm -hmm. I didn't even meet him. I was out back of the Rivoli, <laughs> I think loading in and he was up with winter sleep at the dream house, which is a studio a couple doors down and they were out on the, on the rooftop, you know, and they, they waved down. They said, hi. And I was like, Oh, hi. And later Lowell from winter sleep told me, you know, you'd probably get along with John. Hmm. I think you guys would, would probably agree on a lot of things. So I gave him a call. Just like that. And, now, uh, what are some of the things you said, John, uh, you, you kind of had to let go of your, uh, you know, producer impulses, I think is what you're getting at mm -hmm. there and, mm -hmm. and, and give those over to John. What kind of things did, uh, John bring to the party for you there, uh, in terms of, you know, mm. advice, decisions made that you were like, huh, that, I don't know if anything radically changed your vision of what a song could be, but can you think of any instances where John really uh, stepped up and, and shifted your way of thinking about something? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, the things that I had to let go of was more my instincts as the songwriter or as the... Uh, oh, I see. You know, yeah. Uh, but But also the production thing too. Like, I think we're similar producers in that I don't really aim to really, like, drastically change anything. I want the... Like if a client comes in to see me, I want to hear the compositions first and I want to know that I that I like the compositions, that I think that they're worthy of fleshing out. I don't really want to go crazy and, you know, present them in some radically new light or anything like that. I mean, once in a while, it, it, you know, it really depends. But, you know, mostly I, uh, uh, I want to sort of put a song in its best clothes and make sure that it is as accessible as possible. John is the same way, I think. And really what I needed was like, his perspective and his approval, I guess, uh, you know, sometimes in the studio, you're so mired with nonsense with like, uh, uh indecision. Yeah. That's, that's a big thing. And the role of the producer is just somebody, uh, you know, the producer has many roles, but one of the roles is sort of, you know, we're going to go this direction and we're just going to do that now. You know, Aaron, if, if I may, sure. just if I may sure. ask you something, because I think mm. you occupy a really interesting place in this creative process as both a mm. songwriter, a musician, and a producer. And I mm. think, you know, I, I earlier we were kind of distinguishing between those hats you wear, but uh, is a producer not ostensibly a songwriter, if, if you will? Like a songwriter, of course, will write the music obviously mm -hmm. hopefully mostly and come mm -hmm. in with mm -hmm. the lyrics and all those sorts mm -hmm. of things that is writing literally often a song uh if mm -hmm. not writing it all down but mostly composing the thing and then you bring it to a producer who can contribute so much to the end mm -hmm. result that you're like wait who wrote 
the song. I know we've right. there's a history of legal disputes about such things, and of course, and and you know, production the, the credits on an album and the liner notes can be a little nebulous in this regard because mm-hmm. producer is overseeing the whole thing. Like that's kind of the what we understand. Mm-hmm. But given what you do and what you've done and working with someone like John, could mm-hmm. you? Back me up on this, that a producer is ostensibly a songwriter. It's not. Sure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely project specific. I would even almost say it could be genre specific because of course you have hip hop and pop where the producer is often the person who like builds the track. Yeah. 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 Know? Yeah. They might bring a near complete track to a top line writer or to a vocalist or whatever. And then. Yes, in that case, like, of course, the producer should be afforded all the composition credits. The way I work is I make arrangement changes a lot. That is to say, like, what is this random two bars doing before this bridge needs to go? Exactly, yeah. Or, uh, you know, that that kind of thing. Or, yeah. like, this song needs a third verse, go write it. Or, the, forget this third verse, get rid of it. I don't feel that I am due, uh, like, actual compositional credit for that because really the composition is the melody and the lyric right that's that's sort of the Mm -hmm. the general understood thing now if i ever make changes that constitute you know that that are to those things if i make a melody change or or a lyric change that i think is so influential to the song that it really changed the song then i'll probably send an email and say hey you could cut me in on this one um but i i rarely is that ever awkward no, I try and be pro about it. And then, you know, we all know how it, how it went in the <laughs> All of a sudden, the, studio. the producer is saying, you know, if you think about it, I right, altered right. the arrangement well. And, like, I see what you're saying about melodies and lyrics and stuff, yeah, but like yeah. altering a, or an arrangement is significant, is it not? It can be. But so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm compensated differently for that. Like, uh, when I produce records, you know, there's a fee and then also there's, um, you know, points like the classic producers points. And those are awarded not on the composition, but on the master. So put it this way, you know, somebody writes a song and I, I do the arrangement and I think it's really crucial to how this master worked out. Well, I'm afforded a royalty on that master, but then if they take that song and they want to do it on a live album or they want to re-record it or whatever, doesn't really affect me if I'm not producing it uh, and they're creating a different master entirely and they may choose to rearrange the song. I see. In which okay. case I, I yeah. have no compensation on there. But like if I was to write the bridge and write all the lyrics and the melody of the bridge, well, well then yeah, yeah they, they, <laughs> then they should cut me into the, to the publishing in which case no matter the iteration of the song, I would, I would be compensated. That now, seems compensation, obvious. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Compensation is, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's not as though I'm like, you know, my it's not like my mailbox is full of royalty checks. Of all this, you're you're not all this you're not stuff. Timberland per se, right? Uh, right, exactly. Yeah. But that's yeah. that's perfectly fine. Like I I feel like I'm good at at a certain subset of things, and I'm happy to work on those things. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, yeah. I just I raise it because it, it's interesting that Lowell uh, spotted you and thought you and John would have a lot in common. Uh, mm-hmm. Given I'm 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 sure Lowell knows your history as both. Mm-hmm. Um, a musician and a producer. So I appreciate that background. I was mm-hmm. pondering uh, the tone lyrically of this record. And I'm sorry, maybe we, we got sidetracked because you were talking about the history of Espinola. And, oh, yeah. and I, I wonder when you, and it sounds like you tend to it when you can, uh, when mm-hmm. when other uh, work isn't uh, around, then you dig in. Is mm-hmm. this a, like I have a couple of questions along these lines then. Is this a, is this album a, let's call it a product of the pandemic, so to speak, because you had time. And secondly, lyrically, I pick up on a lot of like, I'm leaving or mm-hmm. someone's, the narrative, narrative voice is often like, I'm splitting or people are splitting or mm-hmm. come together, like get, come with me, like do something, get like galvanization. It's, uh-huh. I, I feel like it's vaguely protesty as well. I'm sorry to give you a rudimentary reading of it. I'm just no, that's picking fine. up on some themes that I, I find interesting. I guess the, the overall question is, can you speak to the relationship between Espinola again and this pandemic and this mm-hmm. sort of state of things, as it were, uh, from your perspective? Sure. To be honest, I haven't given it a lot of thought. Like my my songwriting process is usually... I think of, you know, little, uh, sorry, I have a siren here. 
That's so okay. They, that's the question police. Uh, they're they're <laughs> like, ah, you rambled on too long there, and uh, you got to tighten it up, sir. And then I'll say, okay, officer. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you there. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, to be honest, I, I, I haven't. Um, okay, I found with my first record that I went back and I, I looked at, you know, because it was made over five years. I looked at especially some of the older songs, and I was like, oh, man, that's what I was writing about. Like, not to be all whatever, but like, it kind of just comes out on paper and then later on it's like, Oh, I think this might've been what I, what I had in mind when I was writing this. And so, yeah, I haven't really like reckoned very much with what's on this record. I can tell you that. Yeah. When you say protest, certainly, um, Espinola again, like the title track has some stuff in it about, um, strikes. Yeah. Picket um, picket lines and, and whatnot. Yeah. I was remembering the train track, protest mm-hmm. um which was which had to do with uh with water on on the on the reserves right mm-hmm. and i just um obviously i am 100% for clean water on 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 reserves i i had remembered uh getting a little into the semantics with a couple people um over you know what was an effective protest and 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 what would uh you know what would benefit the cause the most and, you know, I think we've all sort of, I try not to, I'm not a, a judgy person, but definitely there's, uh, I had picked up on some maybe sort of more performative type, uh, you know, Instagram warrior type people yes. um, that I wasn't uh, that pleased with. And I think that's where that song came from, really just like challenging people to sort of take some real action. Now, like, what real action did I take? I, d- I sent an email to my uh, to my MPP, I remember, or to my MP, uh, who at the time was the Minister of Indigenous Affairs, and got no response. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's that's definitely what I was thinking about in terms of that song. It's interesting you pick up on the leaving thing. That might have been a theme in the first record too. And what does that mean? I mean, I guess I do love the road, and I do <laughs> I do love going out, and I don't do it as much uh, anymore. But, well, uh, I, I will say, I will say, coming and going maybe even more than leaving. There's a lot of travel mm-hmm. on this record, as mm-hmm. and it, as it relates, I think, to citizenship, land mm-hmm. usage. Like I do, mm-hmm. I pick up on that that maybe you have written uh, from both a personal perspective, but maybe topically, mm-hmm. and about maybe what's happening. It also feels like very Canadian. I obviously I know your the context of who you are and. I, I think uh, you and I are aligned in our ways of thinking about uh, the world in so many ways. So mm. um, other people might see other things here, but just a lot of coming and going and maybe not being particularly not settled is the wrong word, but there's something there. And mm-hmm. I feel like you're picking up on a bit of tension among all of us um, on, on some level of like, Am I in the mm-hmm. right place? Like, where should I live? For what, sure. what should I do? Am I, am I mm-hmm. happy where I am? It's just a little bit of an undercurrent and sometimes more overt. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to clarify. It's not just leaving. It seems to be moving, coming, yeah, going. For sure. Yeah. Does that make sense? For sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I'm trying to think of when most of this was written and I guess it would mostly have been in the pandemic. When I wrote the first one, I, I got into this interesting situation where I was able to visit I, like I never wanted to be like the guy who went to a cabin and wrote a record, but I I was able to go to PEI a couple times and write at this place called the Dunk. Uh, it, had, it was built by this guy Hal Mills, who has uh, passed since, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was um, just a great dude who was sort of a patron of the arts and who who allowed people to write in this cabin on his property. So a lot of the first record got written there, and I liked that sort of isolation. I sort of needed it to quiet my brain. I'm, extremely ADD. And so I have all these fragments of songs, but when it comes time to put them together, I kind of need a place to focus. So this time uh, a friend of mine uh, allowed me to cabin sit her cabin in Chelsea uh, outside, well, North of Ottawa. And uh, same thing was like, it was the pandemic. So it was not like you could really go anywhere. Uh, And she had like gone away on a trip or whatever. And I, I was able to like live in this cabin for a week or like a cottage sort of thing. The parallel is that both of these places where I wrote had a wood fireplace and I really liked tending to the fireplace and (laughs) the fireplace ended up lyrically in both the records just because it was staring me in the face. Songs like uh, on the new album, Not Like Dynamite, maybe? Is that one? Yeah. 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 Or um, no, the third verse of Espinola again. I know that I'm safe and I'm warm and and there's wood on the fire. 
That's the fire. Well, uh, and, and not like dynamite, if, yeah. if my if I have this correct, t- sure. today is a flaming pile of everything yes. I've done wrong. Yes, I yes. figure I'll jump in too, and this is your cue to come along. I want to walk on the embers and coals. Yeah, it's yeah. not like dynamite, but it sure ain't a stroll. Sorry, there's uh-huh. some fire in here yeah, you're too. Right. There's some elemental you're stuff, right. I would say. The sky, right. like it looked to the. Isn't there a song yeah. about uh, what is it called here? Uh, something about the sky. I thought there was one about that. Look too. to the sky. Yeah, yeah. Look yeah, to the sky. The so there's some yeah. elemental. I just feel like yeah. there's a sense of place that you're wrestling with, whether you were mm. conscious of it or not. Uh, that I think as a as a you know settler, you have mm-hmm. to start thinking about these things. And so on the one hand, you have avert songs like the one we were just uh talking about espanola again Mm -hmm. but i feel like there is this current of should we be where we are you know questioning Mm -hmm. where we are in the space we use and 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 whether there should be gratitude there and reconciliation as well truth and reconciliation if i may invoke that phrase absolutely yeah is that possible is that possible for sure yeah yeah for sure it is i'll I'll tell you something else without Without wanting to comment specifically on it, it's, you know, it's interesting that we're speaking during this time of the, the yeah. Hamas and Israel war, yeah. because, you know, I'm a Jew and, and was, was raised in this sort of enclave of like, um, you know, uh, unconditional support for Israel. And, uh, I am to a certain extent still a supporter, but I've, I've definitely like opened my mind a lot to the sort of more humanitarian, uh, overview of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and that's a thing that, uh, that definitely weighs on my mind too. I mean, there's a song on the record called promised land blues. And to be perfectly honest, I wrote it because I had, uh, it, you know, Actually, now that I think of it, I, I also had another cabin trip. I went to, uh, my friend Jonas Bonetta, who performs as uni, uh, evening hymns, uh, has this great studio out, uh, out in rural Ontario. And there's a, uh, a cabin there for people to stay. I went out there and wrote a little bit and I had the Obama book promised land with me. Uh-huh. And I was like, maybe in my downtime, I'll do a little bit of reading. I didn't really get into the book. Like I found it kind of dense and whatever, mm-hmm. but looking at the title on the, on the, <laughs> On the cover, I ended up with the song Promised Land Blues, which didn't mean anything to me at the time. And now when I look at it, I'm like, oh, is this, is this my Israel song? Like, yeah. maybe it is. And, uh, of course, like, it's a very complicated situation and I, I abhor violence and I abhor the subjugation of anybody. But, uh, certainly as a Jewish person, I, I certainly have feelings about it. And I certainly find myself wrestling with, you know, the way I once felt about it versus the way I feel about it now. And that's, uh, that's something that I've had to process. If there's, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a big theme in my mind for sure. And especially it's now, now recurred in the last couple of weeks because of what's going on there. Yeah. I think we're in a weird stage of history and life and in modern times, I suppose, in terms of whether the actions of the few mm-hmm. truly represent the actions of the whole. And, mm-hmm. We, we tend to amplify. Sorry, I'm going to go. I, I, I appreciate go your reticence in terms of talking about mm. the sp- specific conflict in, in Gaza mm. and, and in Israel. But, uh, I don't know. We see it everywhere. We see it in all sorts of ways. Like, does mm. the freedom convoy really represent all of Canada or even right. a micro, very microcosm? Does it? Like, we, I don't know. Those are the people mm-hmm. that made it known uh, who they are. Does any mm. terrorist group that is religiously affiliated mean you have to condemn the entire religion? Like, obviously, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the answers to some of us are obvious, but mm-hmm. that's not how the media tends to view things and, and guide people mm-hmm. in their assessment of what's happening in the world. No, these people are Hindus or Sikhs or Muslims, so right. let's home in on that as mm-hmm. the uh, signifier for what this really represents. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. there may be hundreds of people like that out of billions of people who would identify as such. So, yeah. again, I'm speaking out of turn in terms of this actual horrible no, no. conflict That's and fine. the lives lost, but I'm say- I, I do see, like, I don't know, I have subscriptions to various uh, American and British news uh, sources, and they're talking about MAGA all the time. And I'm like, are these people really, right. re- they're, they're a fringe group. Like, yeah, I, right. it doesn't make me hate all Americans. No, um, that would be it easy. makes me dislike those who I think are responsible for bringing this to the fore. 
but I can't. Sure. I have tons of friends in that country, and 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 there are a lot. We're spiritually and philosophically aligned, so I can't then mm-hmm. just cast off all of them because of this minority group who are causing problems or don't align. Anyway, sorry. No, of course. I think no, that's fine. I think if there's something I've learned more as I grow older, it's that there's many, many more people in the gray area than you expect. Yeah. There's very few people who are, you know, who will fully and wholly represent the sort of factions that that are uh well, that are purported to be that, you know. We see like, it in our elections, like how few people mm-hmm. actually vote among the population. Right. Like I think very yeah, there's just not, I wish there was more engagement generally in these things because I think mm-hmm. the majority of people would then stand up to this fringe group, but there's just a lot of indifference that I've not, in every regard, as we're speaking, mm-hmm. uh, a campus and community radio station in Canada just lost all their funding because of one person, uh, got, uh, of like a, a, I don't know what the actual student population mm-hmm. is of that school, but let's say it's 30, 40,000, 1700 yeah. people made this decision happen because they were, mm. they knew about it. Yeah, I mean, there's a, right. sorry, it's a whole other story, but that small, a group was able yeah. to alter that entire community for generation. If they get their way, I believe as we're speaking, right. they were successful. So if they get mm. rid of that media outlet that serves yeah. underrepresented viewpoints and music and all sorts of things, yeah, the, the implications are going to be felt for decades. And, and yeah. forever, like people won't have the experiences that you and I came up with, which is, which, you know, which campus are we talking about? Uh, this is in Ottawa, CHUO, I oh. believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, right. so I'm just saying that we're just in a weird zone where these fringe groups just seem to have, if not power, they domineer our conversations and they domineer decision making and create mm-hmm. problems for the whole. So one little mm-hmm. fringe group comes up with a decision, uh, or makes a horrible choice. And that, mm-hmm. unfortunately, then um, casts other sort of similar people in a similar milieu or country or whatever are also fa- have to deal with the consequences of this fringe group's actions. Anyway, I'm really on a run yeah. here. I'm sorry. Well, I didn't think we were going to do <laughs> this, but I feel like... No, that's fine. I feel like some, some of this is swimming around in the conflict I hear in yeah. the lyrics on this record. Absolutely. And uh, I mean... You know, obviously the writing is a few years old at this point, so it's not like I was writing about Gaza at the time. But, yeah. um, but, uh, but you know, certainly, um, yeah, uh, we are kind of in that in that space, like, and we have been for a while, right? Where yeah. uh, funny, I was uh, speaking to someone last night about like where did this all begin? Where did the division truly begin? And I posit that it is uh, around like RFK. Yeah, like, like like RFK would have been president and changed a lot of things, and because he was assassinated, we got Nixon instead. Yeah, and that really set up Reagan, who is trickle down, who is war on drugs, who is, and then really around the first Bush is when the the sort of um, you know identity politics stuff started, and the real like performative nonsense, you know, and the real like division was really sown in America. I mean, who knows? You could probably point to a million different, <laughs> different yeah. things. Yeah. Things have been, things have yeah. been tough down there. I don't know if you've heard of the Civil War. <laughs> yeah, America does lead the way in these, yeah. for some reason, in terms of how we conduct ourselves. Um, listen, mm-hmm. I want to yes. get back to this record in the time yes. we have left here because mm-hmm. um, the sound of it is uh, for those who haven't heard it, it's a very guitar-oriented record. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron, I hear you experimenting a little bit with your voice. Sometimes you remind me of Jim James from My Morning Jacket ah, or thank you. Na- Nashville that. Skyline, Bob Dylan sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Like you get, you get in that high register. Other times you're low. Uh, mm-hmm. it's a crack, uh, group of musicians that have helped you mm-hmm. realize, uh, uh, this record and some special guests. Mm-hmm. In a general sense, do you want to say anything about the actual sound of this record? Because for some younger people, perhaps, this might come across as something of an antiquated sound. You know, you mentioned mm-hmm, government mm-hmm. mule and some other, I think rock oriented influences you've had in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but this seems to be a very true and true blue, um, expression from you and your, in your heart, what you believe mm-hmm. in. But, uh, I wonder, I, I, I can't help but wonder where you feel like a, a sound like this fits in, in sort of contemporary mm-hmm. times, if you will. Sure. Well, yeah, first of all, I, I'd say, uh, 
people who, who haven't heard my records before, they tend to expect uh, a country record from me, which is understandable. I'm best known as a pedal steel player. Um, I love country music so much and maybe I'll write a country record one day, but, uh, yeah, I, I really, uh, well, you know, you're in a unique position having known Huron. Huron was, um, really a sort of louder sort of riff type band. And I think our, our sort of, if we had two influences to, to pin up on the wall, they would have been Black Sabbath and Big Star. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it was like riffs, but it was also like, we really liked writing and we liked melody and power pop and stuff like that. And truthfully, the way I thought of the first Espinola record, and I guess this one by extension, is like it's kind of what I would have written for Huron if Huron had stayed together. Uh, yeah. It's re- really, I think, I'm I'm working from the same platform. Like I still love Black Sabbath and I still love Big Star and I love the Alm Brothers and all that stuff. Um, and I, But I also really love like Fats Domino. <laughs> and I, I really love, uh, I listen to Ray Charles almost every night. Like, uh, yeah, that it, he's sort of my guy. Uh, not, not like this is a Ray Charles record, but, uh, I guess, yeah, when I sit down to play, what comes out of me most naturally and when I'm not thinking too much about it is just like that style of like classic rock kind of guitar playing. And I would loathe to, to put out a record that was like, intellectually dumb in the way that some of that music can be Uh, what i'm trying to do is like bring my sort of i don't know my like uh white liberal academia uh to a a very basic kind of 70s boogie rock structure yeah um i still you know i love southern rock so much i'm it's weird i'm from up here i'm a jewish person that's uh you know don't usually (laughs) like associate my type of guy with uh you know boogie and southern stuff but like that's really something that i gravitated to i i I think of this record as my southern rock record i think it's the most sort of boogie type record and the most you know it's got like grooves on it as opposed to the last one that was more straight now where it fits in in like the modern thing i don't know no it's a hard question to answer right i I, for sure (laughs) but uh, i tell people all the time when they come in you know people who for, for whom i'm making records i tell them you know, the marketing of music is not my business and it's not yours. It's, uh, you know, fingers crossed that a label wants to put something out for you. They can handle how to market it. And I truly believe that we are in this, we're in the most broad time in terms of finding an audience. Like it doesn't really matter what it is you're doing. If you're doing it well, then hopefully you'll end up on the right playlists (laughs) of other similar stuff. And I'm positive that there's like, people making all kinds of different music that are hopefully reaching their people through this like incredible dichotomy of streaming where like, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, as a, as a user of streaming platforms, I think that they can be amazing. And of course, as a, as a creator, I'm dismayed at the payout, but yeah, uh, I think ultimately, uh, you know, for fans, it is, it is really, pol- it's like, it's like the best DJ that you could ever have. Like the algorithm has brought me stuff that I never would have heard otherwise, um, stuff that I love. So yeah, I think it's just like, I tried to make them. Oh yeah. I also tell people you got to go and make your most honest record because people can tell that about you, whether yeah. you think that or not. Uh, they can hear whether you're doing something that's true to you or whether it's some weird facade. And so I was just like, you know, in this context, like I'm not being paid to do this. I'm paying for it. (laughs) So I might as well do exactly what I want. And um, yeah, I do. I definitely see a country record in the future. I don't know how, how authentic or how old school it might be, but like, you know, something like that I think would be cool. I mean, I definitely love the genre so much. But I still, you know, when you think of the rest of my touring life, it's mostly on pedal steel. I'm playing a lot of like folk rock, country rock, you know, that kind of stuff. So this is my chance to like turn up and and bring me back to to that side of things that I really love. And I think like it's a thing that I kind of do well, honestly. Yeah. And I, and I uh, you know, I appreciate uh, having the chance to do it here and there. Yeah. Well, it's a cool record, and I'm I've always been a fan of your playing and your writing, and and so uh, it's nice to to hear this uh, 
this again. I'm sorry, I missed the. I, I missed out on Espinola, I guess. And uh, oh, it's, it's okay. Been nice to catch. It was a very <laughs> under the radar thing. Like the last record, you know, I put it out myself and whatever. Yeah. I'm, I have to say, I'm so happy to have connected with Sonic Onion. They're they're Hamilton based, and so it feels right yeah. for me because of the time I spent there. Yeah. And uh, they're real. They, they've helped me to to push this record a little farther, which I really appreciate. Nice. Well, speaking of which, yeah, where can people go to learn more about uh, this Espinola record and and your own exploits if you want them to? keep track of Mm -hmm. such things um i've been encouraged for a long time to put together a website uh and you know an internet destination oh i've heard of those i've heard of those yeah um i've not yet successfully done that but uh i'm on all the socials you know there's uh there's both aaron goldstein and espinola on facebook and on instagram instagram is really my daily that's where all the stuff goes out you can uh well, first of all, the record is on all those platforms, but if you want to order an LP, they're on the Sonic Onion site. Anyway, yeah, so uh, the Sonic Onion website is where the LPs are. Um, yeah, if, you know, I'm I mostly mostly Instagram is the place. That's 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 where all the info is. Okay, there'll be a website one of these days. The truth is, the studio has has I've been lucky to maintain it as like a word of mouth thing. Um, but it does deserve a little website with like some pictures and stuff like that. So I think I'll probably combine do a combination where you can look at the website, look at all my production work, look at Espinola and, you know, have all that in one spot. But uh, that's uh, to be determined. I see. So if people want to pursue you both as a musician and as a producer, best Mm -hmm. to contact you on maybe a social media platform at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Instagram pretty much. Um, And, and, you know, people can can reach me that way too. Like there's, you know, click the old email button. That's how you reach me. Okay. And have you begun, I know the Espinola stuff is... A little bit catch as catch can in between your other um, work and and assignments and those sorts of things. Have you thought about working on new stuff for this band? Oh yeah. The other night I was looking through my uh, through my voice notes, and I figure I have fragments of most of the next record. It's just they have to be fleshed out. And is this a um, country record, as you were just alluding to, perhaps? No, it's it's sort of more of the same. Okay, like, uh, <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> okay, I think I think a country record will come. Okay. I just uh, I might have to uh, move to the country first. <laughs> I'm not sure, but uh, no. There's there, there are fragments. There's there's riffs. There's there's lyrics. Um, I'm contemplating. I, I I took a bit of a foray into co-writing the past few years, which I had never really done before, and I always sort of wondered if that was like a good way to come up with <laughs> material. Yeah. And I I decided that it's really case specific. Like I'm sure there's a lot of co-writes that are silly. And that are ha- you know have too many cooks, but if I sit down with the right person, I think uh, you know sometimes the right thing can come of it. I, I I co-wrote a song, or I co-wrote a few songs with Eamon McGrath, who's a buddy of mine, and uh, one Eamon and I and Mariel Buckley, uh, which I'm really happy with, and I'm not sure if that'll come onto the record or not. Huh. And I've chatted with like some peers, some some peers who I really respect, who who want to come and you know who who've seen a picture of like this room and they want to come hang and play guitar in this room, and that's great. I'm yeah. I'm, you know, so you never know if the next record may, might not be entirely my own compositions, but uh, yeah, I think that would be cool. I think collaboration, the right kind of collaboration, can be really uh, effective and great. Well, that's cool to hear. Um, I will mm-hmm. say, uh, you said that uh, in order to make your country record, uh, you might move to the country. That's not necessary. You don't have to. If you want to make an electronic music record, Aaron? You don't have to move into your computer. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to go to the <laughs> place. I'm going to move. You know what I mean? I'm just making jokes, yeah, yeah. but uh, no, that's good. No, no, you're right. You're right. I got a lot of country music in my brain and I should probably just harvest it. That's, that's the truth. Harvest. There it is again. Uh, Neil Young, yeah. Ben Keith. We did it again. Um, <laughs> if we can go out on a song uh, from Espinola sure. again, I wonder if you can choose one for us and, and tell us why it came to mind. Well, you know, the focus track is supposed to be the uh, the title track, which is a good number, but I think I want to go with Promised Land Blues. Lately, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very proud of it. Uh, it's the most like, you know, groovy thing I think I've done. Like it makes you bob your head, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, uh, there's a really good harmonica solo. I've been accused of, uh, not accused, but I've had it mentioned that it's like, Oh, is this, is this like your blues song? Is this a blues? Is this your, you know, have you been listening to blues traveler? <laughs> and, uh, uh, my, my friend Steve Mariner plays the, plays the harp on it and he actually, uh, when I took over the studio, I learned that he lives around the corner. And so and he's a professional harmonicist, among other things. Oh. And so he he just sort of waltzed in one day and cut this solo. It's really good. And then he just was on his way. It was as quick as that. Um, so, yeah, 
I'm really happy with I'm 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 really happy with how this song is turning out in the show because it it becomes sort of just a smorgasbord of uh of guitar solos, which is great. Oh nice. All right. Well let's let's yeah. hear it right now. This is Promised Land Blues from the new album Espinola again by the band Espinola. Aaron, uh this was a, a fun chat for me. I hope you enjoyed yourself and I, I want to thank you for Absolutely making time much. and uh I hope we speak again and, and best of luck in the future. Of course. Thank you, Vish. It was great to talk to you. is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware weather ready teak and quick dry foam cushions for memorial day get 15% off your burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's very nice to catch up with my old friend Aaron Goldstein. I don't think Aaron's ever been on this show. I mean, I can't keep track anymore. We're well over 800 episodes. He might have been on several times. I... It's a bit of a blur. No, he's actually very memorable. I would remember that. And I'm darn certain he hasn't been on this show, but we have talked in the past. Anyway, Aaron, thank you so much for appearing on this, the 823rd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available everywhere you get your podcasts. If you can find an episode that you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. And also like Creative Control or follow it on various social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, uh, but uh, what else is there? Blue Sky. I have a Linktree thing in the podcast description, so if you want to engage with me on most things, I should update it slightly. But yeah, anyway, I'm on most of those things, so yeah, please check out my Linktree. How about that? Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this show running i'm at a tipping point of some kind i want to actually uh, focus in on making the show make some money so that it's at least paying me a part-time wage uh and uh set a goal that i'm going to uh, i want to get us up to at least three thousand dollars a month and uh, as i'm speaking to you it's not even at a thousand dollars a month but if it's not time i I think it's time 10 years in i got to do something so if you've thought about it and haven't yet uh, donated to the Patreon, please do. I've upped the perks at the $10 USD per month tier. And so if you can, again, visit uh, patreon.com slash creative control to read more about that and support this show. I'd like to keep doing it and, and have it be the main thing I do. But And I have made time for it, but just a little tired. I'll explain this all in an upcoming uh, dedicated episode to this whole situation. I think. I haven't quite articulated it yet, but uh, nonetheless, please support the show if you can. Thank you. Thank you very much. Speaking of thanks, I want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. I also want to thank Jim Guthrie. Jim uh, writes amazing songs, and he has loaned me a couple of them to use every once in a while on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode featuring Aaron from Espanola. If you enjoyed our conversation and you haven't heard Espanola, I encourage you to check out the new record and their their music generally. And uh, uh, if you're very familiar with Aaron and less familiar with me, I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast or follow it and, and tell your friends about it and uh, spread the word. All right. I will talk to you very soon. I hope you're well. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.